Today's scripture reading is found in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 23 through 34. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when, he realized, when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Fritz, for reading for us, uh, Dana and team, for leading us in worship. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here this morning. Thank you for being here for our, our worship. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. Glad to welcome you here. And, uh, too, so thankful that uh, Jesse could be here with us. And he met last night with our missions committee. He's going to be having lunch with our elders after the service today. And just so good to hear again, refresh that relationship, and hear again what God is doing through that ministry and through you and your gifts to Trinity that support, in part, what uh, Jesse and Mukadam are doing. So thank you so much for being a part, giving your part. And uh, just to hear again, I just was amazed uh, hearing this again this morning, that, uh, that there are still parts of the world, there are people groups in the world who do not yet have the whole Bible in their language. And do be praying that by the end of this year or next year, as Jesse said, that that will be completed. But we take that so for granted. We have access to the Bible in multiple versions in English and, and all these translations and so on. It's so easy for us. And yet some parts of the world, it is still so hard. And so we need to be a part of that. I'm so glad that we are a part of that and making sure God's Word is available to everyone who wants to read it. And uh, so I would encourage you, talk to Jesse, meet him. If you haven't met him, talk to him after the service, get to know a little bit more some of the behind-the-scenes things that he couldn't share publicly, uh, and uh, he would be glad to share those things with you so that you know better how to pray, how to be a part of this, how to support uh, this ministry. So, um, Jesse, thank you for being here as you walk down the aisle. <laughs> Good to have you here. I'm so glad you made room in your schedule this week to uh, be a part of our weekend right here at Trinity. So... Um, encourage you to be praying. 
And uh, as we go to God's Word this morning, I just ask you to stop, pause with me for a minute. Let's pray together and ask God to teach us from His Word today. Our Lord God, we, uh, we are reminded today of how blessed, how fortunate we are to be able to have Your Word, the access to it, the, the freedom to come together and to worship and sing the songs as we've been singing, to express our praise to You, and then to hear from You through Your Word. And Lord, we recognize that there are places in the world, there are people in the world who do not have that privilege. And so, Lord, I pray that we would receive Your Word this morning with maybe a a fresh appreciation and engage with it, respond to it, interact with it as You teach us by Your Holy Spirit and by Your living Word. I pray that we would respond to You. And I ask, as I always do, Lord, protect my words, help me to accurately, rightly communicate what you want us to hear this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in what we do right now. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So I don't know if you've ever had the experience I have where you're driving along and you come to an intersection and you're, you're looking for your direction and you look for a sign and the sign or multiple signs leave you wondering which way you should go. So I brought a, got, found a few examples online. I just thought I'd show them to you this morning. Have you ever been to something like this? All these different numbers, east, west, south, north. Out of which way are we going? Which one is ours? So that can leave you more confused than when you came up to the intersection. Or how about this one? Now here, all different colors. All the, you know, I don't, the light doesn't even look red. It looks yellow to me, so the light doesn't even look right. And you can't go this way. You can't go that way. This is the wrong way. This is the one way. You know, you're so confusing. Which way do I go? Or how about this? If you're driving along, which lane do I even get in? I don't know. I'm going here and here and here. I've got to cross four lanes of traffic to get the lane that I want to be in to turn to the correct direction. Which way? Or this is my favorite of all. <laughs> There's no way to go. I, I don't know. I don't know. You, you just have to stop and, and back up. You know, you can't go any direction here. Just, everything is the wrong way. So even, sometimes even with your GPS, you can be left wondering, which way, Siri, speak to me, tell me, what are we doing here? And so I chose as the title for this message, which was obviously supposed to be last Sunday, we had our snow day, we missed that passage in, in Acts, we just bumped it to today, the passage we're titling today, which way, just with a question mark, which way do we go? Because in our passage, in the book of Acts, Luke chooses as as the name he gives to the church, to the group of believers, he often calls it the way. Chapter 9, the first time he uses this, he's talking about Paul or Saul, as his name is at that point, going to persecute the people of the way. Now, we don't know exactly when this started, where this came from, why that name was chosen, but it's actually very appropriate because remember what Jesus said about himself. John 14, verse 6, familiar verse. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. He also said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying, I am the way. In fact, I am the only way. And that exclusive message can cause offense. Some people don't want to hear that. And in fact, that's what creates this disturbance that we read about, this riot in, in the city of Ephesus. So if you're not there already, please turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 19, 
Picking right back up where we left off two weeks ago, Acts chapter 19, grab your phone, device, whatever you have with you, encourage you to always bring, have a Bible in some form with you. When you come, if you're at home watching online, pull out your Bible, follow along with us. We studied the first half of chapter 19 a couple weeks ago. We learned about the city of Ephesus. We learned about the temple of Artemis or Diana. The names are kind of interchangeable. And that that worship of Diana, of Artemis, overshadowed the whole city of Ephesus. And I think it's interesting here that even though Paul spent, as we learned, two to three years in Ephesus, that's a long time for Paul to stay in one place, Luke doesn't give us a whole bunch of stories. It's all pretty much wrapped up in chapter 19 here. And instead of telling us, you know, some of Paul's preaching or telling us about some of the salvations in Ephesus, we know all that happened, but Luke doesn't record it. Instead, he records this riot. Why, Luke, why this? Why this story? Well, I think one of the reasons is that this incident that we're studying today clearly shows this clash, this conflict between God's way and the world's way. I mean, Luke lets us know very clearly that when the gospel comes, when the gospel is preached, the conflict arises because what God says is the right way comes into conflict with what the world tells us is the right way. In fact, you look at verse 23, the beginning of our passage, right, beginning of what Fritz read for us, is about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. So the way is there, it's growing in the city, and a disturbance arises, stirs up trouble. And so I think, you know, it's not just the first century, it's not just in Ephesus. Wherever the gospel goes, there is going to be opposition to it. Then, Jesse could probably attest to that better than anybody else here in this room. He's seen that. Seen police play, been to places in the world where there's great opposition to God's Word. I was talking two days ago on, on Zoom with one of our other missionaries who's in India. He was describing for me the great opposition in their country. It's just risen up in the last five or six years more than ever. Opposition to the church, to Christianity, to the gospel. We live in a world that wants to go its own way, not God's way. I mean, we live in a country where a very popular song from years ago, people still know and sing, I did it, what? My way. Or you remember the fast food chain, I won't mention the name, but that had the saying, have it your way. See, that's kind of the American thing. It's your way. It's my way. We get our way. We're used to getting our way, right? And so in our day, in our culture, as much maybe more than in Ephesus, God's way is seen as diametrically opposed to my way, our way, the world's way. And the way of Jesus, for many, is unpopular, impractical, unacceptable, and downright offensive. So this morning, for a couple minutes, I want us to see how, how the ways clashed in the city of Ephesus and what we can learn as followers of the way here and now, today, what can we learn from this? So here's our first clashing of ways, God's way or my way of life. Verses 23 to 27 describe this. Luke introduces us to this silversmith named Demetrius. And you really can't blame him for being upset about this because his fellow craftsmen 
depended on Artemis merch sales, you know, for their livelihood. This was what they did. And so this guy probably made these little shrines, probably replicas of the temple that he made out of silver and sold them. Remember we talked about it in Ephesus. People would come from all over Asia to Ephesus to see the temple, to worship there. And so you got to take home a trinket with you. you got to have a, have a souvenir, right? And so that's what they would sell. And so he talks about this in, to his fellow craftsmen, and he talks about Paul's preaching, and he's afraid as he hears this, what Paul's saying, that maybe the same thing is going to happen to them. That happened. Remember the two weeks ago we talked about the burning of the sorcery scrolls? Maybe people are going to start taking their silver shrines and melting them down. He said, we're going to lose our business. And the interesting thing is he understood Paul's message. Did you catch that in the reading? Verse 26, he's talking about Paul. He says, he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Well, that's probably exactly what Paul was saying. He got it right. But for Demetrius and the craftsmen, that's a problem. And it's not just a problem for their goddess. He's obviously worried about that. But even more so, perhaps, he's worried about his lifestyle, his income. In fact, he says in verse 25, we receive a good income from this business. This is a business response. He wasn't just afraid that Artemis would be robbed of her divine majesty. He was worried that he might be robbed of his job. And here's where this connects for us, I think. Here's the application for us. You don't have to be a silversmith to get this frame of mind, right? To have the idea that you need to protect your lifestyle, your means, your way of living that you've gotten used to and comfortable with. So for us, it can be all kinds of things. It may be a desire for status or a position. It may be protecting and or wanting a, a particular level of income or recognition from a certain group of people. It may more, be more subtle than that. It may just be a desire for peace and, and comfort in my life, for safety, for security, for health. Those things can begin to drive us. Just like for Demetrius, it was his livelihood in, in silver. And they can become... My lifestyle can become my idol, my silver shrine. We had our uh, two Atlanta grandsons over to our house a week ago Friday. And for those of you who watched the video yesterday, I've kind of reenacted a little bit with the boys when they were at our house yesterday morning. But two weeks ago, we were out, we were walking in our neighborhood, and Mark is the four-and-a-half-year-old, the older, and two-and-a-half-year-old Nathan. He just kind of follows along. But Mark is to that age now where he wants to go his way, right? You remember that age? Or if you have kids or grandkids, you know this. So he, said, he decided he wanted to take off up this hill out off our neighborhood. And it was a steep hill covered with pine straw. So I knew if he took up that way, he or one of us was going to slide and fall. And this was not a good way to go. So I said, Mark, no, not that way. Papa wants you to go this way. We're going to go around this way where it's not as steep. Well, Mark pushed against me. He wanted to go his way. We got to the, our fire pit a little later in the day. We were out, made a fire, and we had the little pokers out, you know, to roast marshmallows. Well, Mark wanted to carry the poker. I said, no, you're going to poke someone's eye out. You wait until Papa can help you hold that, and then we'll use the, the, that in the fire. Certain things that he wants to do now his way. He's not used to being told. He's getting used to being told. It's got to be another way. And in our lives, sometimes in our, with a God, our Father, and we as the children, we can have the same attitude. I want to go this way. I want, I, this is my priority. This is what I want to do. 
my agenda, my way, comes into conflict with God's way. So there are times when we get to that point where God's way and your way may not always be the same thing. You got to watch for that. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? So you want, you want everything? You gain it all. But if you don't have God's way, if you don't have Christ in your life, you forfeit your own soul, he says. Choose God's way to life, not your way of life. It's a big difference. Second thing we see in the passage is God's way or the way of the crowd. Now, here's, here's the conflict this time. It's not just what's in me, it's what's out there. What started as a disturbance among the craftsmen just kind of overflows. It just kind of out of the marketplace, into the streets, and you know how this happens. It just becomes a full-fledged riot. So the crowd reacts in defense of Artemis. They head to the largest gathering place in the city. So if you read that, you read theater, maybe you're thinking AMC or Regal or something like that. No, it wasn't that kind of theater. This was the amphitheater, the outdoor amphitheater. This was a big deal in those days. In fact, you remember two weeks ago I mentioned that Bert and Kim Boudet had just been to see the ruins of ancient Ephesus. They were there in December. And so I asked them, do you have pictures of the amphitheater? Sure enough, they did. So this, this is not off the internet. This is from Bert and Kim when they were there just a month ago. So there's the, the road through ancient Ephesus, and there at the end, built into the hillside, is the amphitheater. This is what we're talking about in Acts 19. It's right there. It's still in amazing shape. And so this is what we're talking about. They would be taken to this outdoor amphitheater. You can see a little closer there. It's, it's probably seating some twenty to 25,000 people. And this thing was huge. Sat right at the end of the city. You can see kind of the stage area there and the, the, the seats all built right into the mountainside. So on the way, the crowd comes to this amphitheater. They drag a couple of Paul's friends out. They can't find Paul, so they grab some friends of his, take, him, they take them to the amphitheater. Paul, as Luke tells us, wants to go and address the crowd, but friends and others hold him back, knowing that will just stir things up more. And Luke says in verse 32, the crowd is in such confusion that most did not even know why they were there. <laughs> you see the mob mentality taking over, right? People join in because everybody else is going. Everyone else is doing it. Now, if, if, if there's not a contemporary connection there, I don't know where there is. I mean, that is the way of our day and our society too. We call it peer pressure. We call it going along with the crowd, doing what everybody else is doing. That's what's happening here. And we can fall into that too because we want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We may have that same desire. We join because everybody else is doing it. Earlier this month, um, as you know, we were reminded of the one-year anniversary of the Capitol riot, which was a dark day in American history. Yeah, I, probably, I'm sure a lot of those rioters had a specific plan. They were going there to disrupt the confirmation of the election results, and they knew what they were doing. But I think there were probably a lot of other people that just got caught up in the crowd, right? Just following the crowd. And maybe they thought they were part of a political or, or patriotic demonstration. Follow the flags, you know? Go to the Capitol. They may not have known what was going on. They just went where everybody else was going. But going the way of the crowd can take us to all the wrong places. God's way and the crowd's way 
are not always the same. But Christ followers, as Christ followers, we're called to go against the flow, against the flow of the world and of our culture. It's a different way, different from the crowd. The Bible tells us that. Jesus says that specifically. Look, Matthew 7, we'll put on the screen here, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Choose God's truth, not not just the popular opinion, not just the popular direction. We are called to the narrow road, not the crowd's path that leads to destruction. Big difference. We need to recognize that difference. Third, clashing of ways comes in verses 33 and 34. It's God's way or the way of self-protection. So now here in the story, we're introduced to a different group of people. So the Gentiles in Ephesus were opposed to the gospel, to the way, because they worshipped Artemis, and they were protecting their temple and their way of life there. But there were also Jews. Remember, there was also a synagogue and a community of Jews in Ephesus. Now they respond. They have something to say here too. And so we don't know exactly the details here, but Alexander apparently was a Jewish leader of some sort. The Jews push him to the front. They want him probably to explain to the crowd, hey, as Jews, we're not part of this way. Make sure you understand the difference. They, they wanted to isolate themselves, distinguish themselves from Paul and the gospel and this group called the way, and they wanted to prove who they were. They didn't They didn't approve of that either. And so they try to push him forward, but the crowd doesn't want to hear from a Jew either. And so they shout him down. And for two hours, Luke tells us, they shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. What do we see in the Jews here? There was an an embarrassment of the gospel. They didn't want to be associated with this message about Jesus. Have you ever felt like the gospel was just too hard, that the claims of Christianity just too polarizing. Have you ever thought that Jesus saying that He is the only way to heaven is just too exclusive of a message for our day and age? Have you ever been embarrassed to tell somebody you were a Christian because of the conversation like that it might lead to? See, I think we struggle with this too. There's a sense in which we're a little bit afraid that the gospel is going to create some conflict. So we better stay away from talking about that. So we protect ourselves, we distance ourselves from the true gospel. It's it's self-protection. It's the way of self-protection. A few months ago, uh, Beth and I went to a funeral. It was the brother of one of our neighbors. So we been developing this relationship with this other couple in our neighborhood, just love talking to them and so on. And we heard from them that her brother had passed away and they told us about the funeral. So we just showed up at the funeral, surprised them by just by being there. We didn't know her brother at all, never met him. And so as we're sitting in this funeral service and I'm listening to the message and, and I, I understand, I'd been in this situation before, so that pastor who I believe was a, a, a sincere believer probably pastoring an evangelical church, but he was in a tough situation because it was pretty clear, and we kind of knew from the family situation, that the deceased was not a believer. Probably many in the family and friends that were there at the funeral were not believers. 
And so instead of presenting a clear gospel, this pastor beat around the bush. He, he said things to try to comfort the family, and I understand that, but in doing so, gave them the false hope and false impression that this man was in heaven, and if just do some good things, you can be there too. That's just wrong. I mean, leading people astray by not giving the distinctiveness of the gospel. Paul says this, talks about this in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. If, if we water down the gospel, we water down the very power of God that saves People are saved through the truth of the gospel. So it's got to be God's way, not the way of self-protection. Don't say that. Don't talk about that. They're, they're not going to buy that. They're not going to believe that. We've got to give the gospel. It's the only way. Jesus is the only way. Never be ashamed of that truth. Never settle for a way of self-protection as an alternative to God's way. There's one more, one more clashing of ways. It's this last part of the chapter. It's God's way or the way of politics. So now we have somebody, a new person comes on the scene here, and what happens in the amphitheater is fascinating to me. So follow along. We haven't heard these verses yet, so let's read from verse 35. Follow as I read for us. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and do not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples or blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open. There are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. And after he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Okay, what's going on here? This city clerk, when we think city clerk doesn't sound like a very important person, probably this was like the mayor of the city because he comes in, he's able to get the attention of the crowd for one thing, so they obviously recognize him, they listen to him, and he's able to disperse the crowd. He's the authority to disperse them at the end. And so we tend to cheer for him, say, yeah, oh, great, this guy came on the scene and he, he got rid of the trouble and he basically exonerates Paul and his companions and says, you know, they're not doing anything illegal. That's good. But the way he says it, his reasoning is somewhat troublesome. So follow me here. First thing he does is he claims that the greatness of Ar Artemis is an undeniable fact, okay? So we don't need to worry about this Paul and this, the way because we know the way and he talks about this image falling from heaven and... Scholars think probably sometime in that era there was a, a, a meteorite, you know, that fell to the earth. And so superstition as it was in those days, people thought that was from the gods, it was from heaven. And so that became the center of their worship. And so he says, everybody knows that story, everybody believes that, you know, why do we have to worry about this? So his way, his beliefs, he thought, were undeniable. And so he was closed his mind to anything else, God's way, the gospel. The other argument he uses here is that, that there was a court system. If anybody had a grievance, they could settle it in the courts. And 
in, in not doing that, in, in rioting as they were, they were in violation of the Pax Romana. You've heard us talk about that, the peace of Rome. Now, as a politician, that was his most important job, was to keep the peace. So that had to be his top, his top priority above everything else. You keep the peace. So he's looking for this political way out that takes precedence over anything else they're talking about. So what does this mean for us? I think we're in a time in our culture, and maybe especially in our country, where it's dangerous for Christians to begin politicizing their faith. And we, we, obviously, we're in a, a crazy political climate. And so, yes, our faith should inform our political positions on issues. No doubt about that. It should start, though, with our faith. Not saying that we identify our faith with a particular political party. The city clerk here wasn't able to distinguish between his faith in Artemis and his allegiance to Rome. His politics and his religion were all wrapped up. But that's not true for us as Christians. It should not be true for us as Christians. Our faith informs our politics, but our politics must never determine our faith. So you have to be careful. Which is the stronger influence in your life for your thinking, for your views, for your beliefs, for your opinions? What's stronger? And I'll give you an example of this. January is Sanctity of Life Month. And so our partnership with the Pregnancy Center in Jasper is an important ministry partnership with us. You see materials out, and every once in a while we'll do a special uh, fundraising drive and so on. Um, and, and this is a month where we kind of emphasize that. And as Christians, our position on this issue, which, by the way, is a real, still really a hot political issue, maybe even more so in the last few years, than, that it kind of waned for a while, but now it's, it's right there at the Supreme Court again. So our view must be dictated by what God's Word says about the value of life, what the Bible says about life in the womb. That's where we start. I'm, I'm not pro-life because... It's my political position. It's because of what the Bible says to me. Because I'm a follower of the way. Because God says life is sacred. That's my starting point. God's way is not a political way. And we've got to see the difference. So here's a, a question I think we need to ask ourselves. Are, are your values guided by God's Word? Or is your faith being swayed by your political alliances and opinions? Are you listening more to Him or to the talking heads? Jesus said in John 15, 19, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And this is the way it's going to be. He says, you don't belong to the world. You don't belong to its systems. My way is different. And so, our way must be different. So, why did Luke include the story about the riot in Ephesus? Well, I think certainly it was to show that Christianity was innocent under Roman law, to show what happened when the gospel was proclaimed and how the Roman officials handled it. And it allowed a freedom for the gospel to continue spreading to the ends of the earth. That's why the book of Acts continues on. 
Luke wanted to show that. But I think also, maybe more importantly, Luke includes this event to show his readers that the one true God is superior to all gods, that Christ is the only way, and that God is not anything like Artemis of the Ephesians. Let me give you two things in closing we see, where we see that contrast in this passage. First, our God cannot be robbed of His divine majesty. Just go back to that phrase again. You know, Demetrius is afraid of that. Our Artemis is going to be robbed of her divine majesty. My thought is, if she can be robbed of her divine majesty, it's not much majesty at all. It's certainly not divine. And yet that happens. You saw two weeks ago, we showed you the ruins of that temple. There is no more temple of Diana or of Artemis. It's gone. There is no more worship of Artemis. But our God, who doesn't even need a temple at all, is not worried about losing His majesty. He doesn't depend on us to shout about His greatness. His majesty and glory are eternal. They are impenetrable. He cannot be changed. He is God alone. Second thing, Luke seems to emphasize here is that our God doesn't need to be rescued or defended. It's almost like he does this kind of in a humorous way. Look at these people having to feel like they have to defend and rescue their goddess. Our God is not like that. He has unlimited power. He doesn't need us to defend him, protect him. God handled this situation without Paul even getting up to say anything. He didn't even need Paul to speak to that group. He used a city clerk to provide greater freedom for the gospel in that city. God is in control all the way along. Not Demetrius, not the crowd, not Paul, not even the city clerk. God needs nothing from us. His way is always higher than our ways. So here are our takeaways. Give these to you one more time. His way, God's way, is more important than my way, than your way. Following Him is more important than following the crowd. Standing up for Him is more important than protecting your own reputation. And listening to Him is much more important than listening to or talking about politics. So this coming week, we'll have, every one of us, will have multiple opportunities to choose to do things God's way or our way, to think God's way or think our way, to push for something that's for God or to push for something that's for ourselves. And when you have that choice, which way will you go? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage, and though it seems to us like a strange and crazy story, in embedded in that is so much truth that we need to grab a hold of to make sure that we are consistently, faithfully followers of the way, your way, that we are listening, focused on you, because the world will try to pull us away. The enemy will try to pull us onto multiple paths, all different ways, and get us distracted. And Lord, we need our focus on you. And Lord, to thank you that we can know, true, that you are the one true God. You are the only way. You are the truth. You are the life. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to this earth to show us the way. You went the way of the cross so that we could be 
saved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could follow the way of, of Christ. Thank you for that salvation. Thank you that we can sing together, we can say together, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise His name forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.